Today on Blue 58, the Packers face the Panthers on Saturday night, and given where both teams are this year, Saturday actually seems like the perfect time for this game to take place. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. I'm very happy, in fact, uh, because we've got something really exciting going on right now. Our Blue 58 Power Sweep, whatever, charity drive is ongoing And less than three hours into the donation period, we have already met our goal. So I announced in the last episode that we were going to shoot for 250 bucks, raised for the Adrian Amos I'm Still Here Foundation. We've already broken the $300 mark, $321 to be precise, have come in thanks to your generous donations. And that means that we are now over the threshold where I wanted to get to where we would give away the Packers jersey. If you want to get in on that and you haven't donated yet, you've still got time. We're going to accept donations for uh, two more weeks uh, through the end of the year, through December 31st. Uh, So you've got time to get in on that. And if you donate any amount to our drive, take a screenshot, send it to me, either via email or Twitter, whichever is more convenient for you, you will be entered into that drawing. And we'll do the drawing on January 4th. Get your donations in. Uh, want to raise as much money as we can, obviously, but we've got an opportunity for you to win a Packers jersey that we will send to you. Even if you're overseas someplace, we will do our best to get it to you however we can, okay? So get your donation in. Let's talk Packers football. I think it's really fitting that this Packers-Panthers game is on a Saturday night. The Packers have three games left, and we all, I think, intuitively know that all NFL games are not created equally, right? Not every game means exactly the same thing. The stakes are different in every game. Of the three games the Packers have left, they've got one against their mortal enemies, the Chicago Bears. They've got one against the playoff-contending Tennessee Titans. And then they've got a third game against the Carolina Panthers. And look, anybody can beat anybody, parody, all those sorts of things. But of those three games, this is the one that comes in third. The Panthers are having a bit of a rough go this year. They are four and nine. They are last in the NFC South. It just hasn't been quite their year. And it's one of those situations where I think this is not entirely unexpected. Not because the Panthers are particularly bad, but if anybody's going to get bitten by a weird season, it's probably a team like this. But I'm intrigued by the Panthers. Prior to this season, I was having a conversation with somebody about doing one of those a year with whoever type books. I I like that kind of book. Um, One of my favorite books of all time, sports or otherwise, is The Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam. He spends a year with the Portland Trailblazers way back in the 70s. You get to learn some really interesting stories about those teams, about those players, lots about Bill Walton. It's it's great stuff. And Halberstam is a great writer anyway, so it was going to be interesting. And you get to know some really interesting behind-the-scenes stuff. The Paper Lion by George Plimpton's another great one. Collision Low Crossers about the New York Jets is one that I've mentioned on here before. There's a bunch of great entries into that 
kind of genre of book. If I was going to write one about an NFL team this year other than the Packers, I might have picked the Panthers. They've got a newish owner who's a little bit different than the rest of the owners in the NFL. A little bit younger, comes from a little bit different kind of money. That's interesting. And the transition from the former Panthers owner to David Tepper is an interesting one because transition points are always interesting. Panthers are also in the midst of another transition. They've got a new head coach, Matt Rule, coming up to the NFL from college football. They've got a good storyline at quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. Another opportunity for him to really put his stamp on a team for the first time really since he was the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. They've got a pretty good team other than that in a lot of areas. They've got some interesting skill position players, interesting free agent signings. Um, Christian McCaffrey, you know, a great college player, now a a very good NFL player. But the pandemic has kind of changed a lot of that. Even if, if Matt Rule turns out to be a really good coach, even if he is a really good coach right now, I think making an impact in the NFL in your first season in the midst of a pandemic is just a challenge that's probably too big for just about anybody to overcome. A big reason the Packers are doing as well as they are is because they were in year two of Matt LaFleur's system. And they weren't as hurt, I think, by having to do everything remotely. Their culture was in place. They had everything, all of those like, hey, I'm Matt LaFleur, here's what I'm about, meet me in person type stuff, done. And so when they had to go fully remote this offseason, everybody still knew what to expect from the people in the room. We've got a new coach coming in. I just don't think you get that same kind of experience. And training camp was different. And the regular season has been different. That's a tough spot for anybody to be in. So that's the Panthers coming in. What do we know about them? Well, before we do that, I want to remind you, do it right now. Check how you are going to watch this game. Because it's weird. It's primarily going to be a local broadcast. It's going to be carried on NFL Game Pass and potentially NFL Network. You may be able to access it a couple different ways depending on what kind of streaming service you have. But this is my reminder. Check right now. Check right now. Pause the podcast. Figure out how you're going to watch the game because if you've got to do it five minutes before kickoff, you're going to end up missing kickoff because these things are always a little bit weird. All right? That's my reminder to you. Let's check out the Panthers' offense against the Packers' defense, starting with that quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is in his seventh year out of Louisville. This year, he's kind of the epitome of a game manager. I don't mean that as a pejorative. He's doing some interesting and good things for the Panthers. He's near the very bottom of the league in turnover-worthy plays. He's not turning the ball over at all, not even putting the Panthers in a chance where the ball could be turned over. But he's also near the bottom of the league in the plays that add the biggest value, explosive plays, uh, touchdown potential plays, things like that. It's not a boomer bust with Teddy Bridgewater. It's middle of the road all the time. The raw numbers are just okay. 287 of 406 passing, 3,100 yards, 14 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. He's 11th in DYAR, defense adjusted yards above replacement, 12th in DVOA. Basically, he's a top-half starter in a league where you need like a top-eight starter to really contend. He's in the top half. You really need a guy in like the top quarter of the league. 
the Panthers are pretty strong at their skill position players. You've got Teddy Bridgewater. Even if he's not a superstar at quarterback, he's not going to ruin it for you either. Then you've got Christian McCaffrey, a legit all-pro at running back. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson at receiver. Unfortunately, McCaffrey is hurt and Samuel is as well, and Bridgewater isn't really lighting it up. But they're still a pretty dangerous group, even if it's just Moore and Anderson, because it doesn't look like Samuel's going to play. And McCaffrey is also out, or has been ruled doubtful for this game. Moore and Anderson are still dangerous, though. Moore at 5'11", 215, projects as that bulky, muscly slot receiver type, like a supersized Randall Cobb almost. In reality, he's averaging 18.5 yards per catch this year. Big play guy, 22 explosive plays on the year. Anderson is the six foot three, 190 willowy track star deep threat type, but he's only averaging 12 yards a catch. That sounds significantly worse than more, but you got to remember he has significantly more catches total on the season. Still has 21 explosive plays, so his his lower or his average is going to be lower per catch, but he's still putting up uh, seriously dangerous numbers. He is their leading receiver yardage wise right now. Where are the Panthers vulnerable though? Well, they've got a lot of injuries at their skill position, guys. Their offensive line is also pretty banged up right now, too. So if the Packers can get after Bridgewater, that's going to eliminate the possibility, hopefully, of those big plays. Who should we know about then on the Panthers offense? I'm going with Mike Davis. He's the running back who's going to be getting the work with McCaffrey out. Kind of a journeyman sort of guy. He's played for four NFL teams in his career so far, including two stints each with the Seahawks and Panthers. He's currently in the midst of kind of a career year. He's got 137 carries so far this year. That's a, a career high. Five foot nine inches, 221 pounds. Definitely fits uh, into that archetype we've identified for the Packers before. That that uh, Brian Gutekunst action star third string running back profile. He, he likes a Gutekunst does a muscly, pretty athletic guy for that number three spot. And they've got kind of the uber example of that this year in AJ Dillon. Uh, The testing numbers on Davis aren't great, uh, but it's pretty good short area quickness, which is kind of what you'd expect for a 5'9"-inch running back. If he's not going to be a burner, he's probably going to be just uh, pretty quick and and grind it out with strength from there. The thing that jumps out at me, if you look at his stats, uh, is targets. Nine times so far this year, he's had a game with five or more targets. He's been throwing the ball five or more times. Three times, he's had eight or more targets, including one game with 10. That's a lot for a running back. He's averaging averaging only six and a half yards a catch. So it's not like it's going great guns in the passing game here. This isn't Alvin Kamara, like lining up as a receiver type stuff, but they are throwing it to him a lot. That could be a lot of checkdowns. I haven't looked into exactly how he is getting the ball, but that is something the Packers have struggled with from time to time, making catches or making tackles when guys make catches in space. So maybe file that away in the back of your mind. What about when the Packers are on offense and taking on the Panthers' defense? The Panthers aren't terribly strong anywhere, but they are stronger against the run than against the pass. They are 19th by DVOA there. They are vulnerable basically everywhere, though. Their run DVOA is their best number, traditional or otherwise. They're basically in the bottom third of the league just about everywhere else. Scoring, yards, whatever, what have you. They're not having a great defensive performance this year. If you're going to focus on one player, make it Jeremy Chin. I think he's the most interesting guy in their defense right now. Brian Burns being the other one. We'll talk about him in a second. But Chin, out of Southern Illinois, truly elite tester. I know guys talk about being elite athletes or a lot, or we talk about guys being elite athletes a lot. That's kind of a buzzword. Jeremy Chin 
is truly an elite athlete. Six foot three, two hundred twenty-one pounds. Four four one in the forty. A forty-one inch vertical leap. Eleven six broad jump. We talk about relative athletic scores, RES sometimes, a scale that goes from zero to ten. This is how athletic he is relative to other players at his position. Relative to other safeties, Jeremy Ten or Jeremy Chin rates a perfect ten on the relative athletic score model. Gave away my fun line there, but still, he is a perfect ten out of ten on relative athletic score. We talked about him as a potential Packers prospect this spring. Would have been a great uh, hybrid safety linebacker type. I mean, if you get a little bit tired of seeing guys like Will Redmond uh, try to play that that nickel linebacker spot because he's a little bit small and a little bit slow, imagine six foot three, two hundred and twenty pound actual football player Jeremy Chin there. He is what Josh Jones was supposed to be. He currently leads the Panthers in tackles. He has ninety total, fifty six solo. Uh, he's scored two touchdowns this year on punt, or on fumble returns. They've even uh, run the ball with him a couple times uh, in, I think, fake punt situations. He can do it all for him, and he's getting a chance to do a lot of it. Overall, the Panthers don't have a lot of playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. If we look at their production ratio, it leaves something to be desired. Currently, they only have three pass rushers on the plus side of a .5 in production ratio. Brian Burns is at .85. I really liked him a lot coming out of Florida State. He was in Rashawn Gary's class. It was him and Montez Sweat that I liked ahead of Rashawn Gary for the record at 12. Let's revisit that sometime, but not today. Uh, Marquise Haynes is the next one on the list for production ratio at a .56. Then F.A. Adaba or Abada is at .5. Then finally, 2020 seventh overall pick, Derek Brown at a .48. Big, big defensive tackle. Six foot five, three twenty something range. No sacks, but eight tackles for loss. He's got a a production ratio of nearly 0.5 just on tackles for loss. Probably want a little bit more than that if you are um, are the seventh overall pick. But hey, can't have everything as a rookie sometimes. Ballhawks, Brian Burns leads the way with 12th. He has six sacks so far this year, so he's not just piling them up with sacks like like, uh, Zadarius Smith does sometimes. He's got the six sacks. He's also got three passes defense. He also has three fumbles forced. That's a pretty well-rounded stat sheet, especially if you're the only, apparently, really effective pass rusher for uh, for the team this year. Dante Jackson is next on the list. He has three interceptions and eight passes defense. He's doing a pretty good job at corner. Jeremy Chin has nine. He's kind of filling every part of the stat sheet there. Rasul Douglas has eight, another defensive back, and Shaq Thompson has seven. So the Panthers don't have the team that we are the the problem that we've talked about with a lot of teams lately. It's not that their their front seven is filling out their ball hawks score sheet. They're just not getting a lot of them as a team. They are um still doing a, a good job of getting their hands on the ball as as defensive backs, they're just not doing it as often as you would like. So not a terrible secondary, but not one that's going to make you pay necessarily either. What happened last time the Packers and Panthers played? Happened just over a year ago, November 10th, 2019, just before the Packers' bye week. A Packers kind of sweated out a 24-16 to win. Panthers were threatening very late in the game, and it was a goal line stand, including a tackle uh, by Preston Smith and B.J. Goodson that stopped the Panthers just inside the two-yard line 
that could have tied the game late. Obviously not quite the game that the Packers were hoping for, but on kind of a snowy, cold day at Lambeau Field, you stick with the win, and I guess you just don't worry about it from there. I think the Packers are going to win this time around. I'm not super worried about the Panthers right now. Um, They certainly have the personnel to make this a headache for the Packers. I could see a situation where they put up a bunch of passing yards and, uh, and really make this kind of a shootout. But normally I would be more concerned about the Panthers um, if they had Christian McCaffrey around. I am, I think like most people, more concerned about the Packers getting gashed in the run game than I am about them losing a shootout with somebody. I really don't think that the Panthers can slow down the Packers defensively. So the Packers should be able to move the ball and get their points. Um, But if the Packers can't stop the Panthers from running the game... That puts more pressure on the Packers' offense because it shortens the game. They have fewer possessions, and the way the Packers have been playing on offense so far, or the last couple games or so, they've been doing a little bit of shortening of the game themselves. So they need to avoid playing too slowly. They need to avoid um, having these long, drawn-out drives. Get up and down the field. Get the ball in the end zone. Don't make it close. Force the pa- or force the Panthers to throw to try to keep up with you and let your pass rush and your pretty solid defensive backs take care of things from there. Most voters seem to agree with me. 93.2% of voters in our poll think the Panthers are going to fall to the Packers this weekend. That's not as high as we've seen for some other games, uh, but that still comes across as pretty confident. Uh, It is the fourth consecutive game in a row where the Packers have had a, or where our fans have had a prediction above 90%, though. So, People are still staying pretty confident about the Packers. Mike Pettin, though, still not doing so hot. His approval rating down at 0% again this week, and people are starting to solidify their opinions on him. Fewer people are voting uh, neutral on Pettin. Uh, They just flat out don't like him at this point. Uh, On the offensive side of things, perfect 100% approval ratings for both the Packers offense as a whole and Aaron Rodgers. And really, it's hard to disagree there. Uh, Both of them have been doing a tremendous job job. Again, I think the Packers are going to win here. Um, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Ultimately, I think what I want to see here on top of a win is the Packers come out strong and play a solid game end to end in a non-traditional, potentially cold environment. So non-traditional, you're playing on Saturday night, potentially cold, uh, which is something they could run into in the playoffs. And against the team they should beat, that's that's a good tune-up in and of itself. Take care of business in a situation that's not necessarily ideal. Get the win. Go home. Have Sunday off. I think that's what we should be looking here, looking for here. I want to leave you with one last thought. This is completely just for fun. Uh, but a on YouTube the other day, a couple episodes ago, just out of nowhere, commenter drops by and said, Hey, I just think pumpernickel bread is underrated. And I said, not long ago on the podcast, that if you have questions about anything, anything at all, we can talk about them. Let's talk about underrated breads. Well, bread guy, I like bread. Um, This is a good time of the year for bread. You've got your cold temperatures, you're after Thanksgiving. Uh, It's not quite Christmas yet, but you need something to do. Get out the bread maker, or if you're super old school, make it in a bread pan, like my grandma does. 
underrated breads. So I think I agree with the commenter here that pumpernickel in and of itself is pretty underrated. It's not one of my three most underrated breads. And underrated is a little bit of a little bit of a a tough thing to put on bread, I think. But um if you're talking about because it's all kind of a personal preference thing, but I think there are three that don't get always the attention that they deserve. First and foremost, and it's gotten a little bit of a renaissance here during this whole shutdown thing, is sourdough bread. Pumpernickel kind of related there, but I like sourdough bread. I like crusty breads generally, and sour bread is kind of the king of the lot. Um, it's good. It's good enough by itself that you can just eat it, but I really like it with a soup, especially a thicker soup. Um, I'm a, uh, a like really meat and potatoes kind of, kind of soup guy. So like a potato soup, a cheddar soup, um, like a, a, a new England clam chowder, not a Manhattan clam chowder. You have some sourdough bread with that. You're in good shape. Eat your soup, clean out the bowl with a piece of sourdough bread. That's good. That's good winter food there. Second thing or second, maybe underrated bread. I like a rye bread. So Reuben sandwiches, right? Uh, Pretty. I mean, if you're someone of the more dadly persuasion like myself, dad interest sort of things, you know, mowing the lawn, uh, books about World War II, uh, books about submarines, stuff like this. I think all of us kind of like the the Reuben sandwich. I got hooked on Reuben's when I was pretty young. My grandpa uh, really likes a Reuben sandwich, and I had one with him. And I'm like, you know, you're hanging out with grandpa. This is great. Reuben's are awesome. And I've grown to like them ever since, but you got to have a good rye bread to have a good Reuben sandwich. Finally, third underrated bread, brioche. Now it's a little bit different. I said I like crusty breads, pumpernickel, rye, sourdough, all can be a little bit crustier. A brioche bread should be pretty soft, but it's a good change of pace. It's, it's again, it can be a little bit sweet. So that's something that you can eat by, by itself. Uh, but you know, it's, it's good in other contexts too. As a bonus, not so much a bread, but this is something that I think kind of falls into that bread sort of category. Well, I guess it is a bread, but it's not a bread in the, in the sense that these other ones are, but a good old Sheboygan, Wisconsin hard roll. I live in Northwest Ohio now. They don't have hard rolls like that here. I was trying to explain to my father-in-law why you need to have hard rolls when you have brats. And it's hard if you didn't grow up with it, with that kind of stuff in Wisconsin to make people understand why you need that with your brats. But if you know, you know. A double brat, onions, brown mustard, maybe a little butter on there on a hard roll, that's good stuff. If you're really next level, you take the leftover hard rolls that you have after you have your brats, Cut one in half, slather some butter on that, pop that in the microwave the next morning. Have that with your coffee. There is old man John Meerdink breakfast for you. Bonus content here on Blue 58. It's not just Packers talk. We can do whatever you want. Go Packers. I think we got to win this weekend. Remember, get your charity donations in there. Check out the link in your show notes on YouTube the top pin comment on YouTube should be that link there, or just find us on social media. We'll get you where you need to go. Get your donations in. Send us a screenshot. We'll make sure that you have a chance to win that Green Bay Packers jersey. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Have a little bread talk at the end. We'll do whatever we want. It's Christmas. We're getting close to the playoffs anyway. We need to just get into the playoffs and talk about 
actual serious football that matters instead of Saturday night matchups with the Panthers. That's what we need to do. If you enjoyed this show, you know somebody else who would enjoy it, go ahead and share this with them. That's going to help us continue to bring good Packers and bread takes to everybody who needs to hear them and ultimately, hopefully, help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.